What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've watched a little bit of Alex Jones, mostly on Joe Rogan. And he talks about how he got dropped on his head as a kid. Slammed. <laughs> slammed slammed on, on his head. head. He and claims that he hit his head so hard the concrete cracked. Yes. Welcome to 2020, everyone. First episode <laughs> of 2020. It's a new decade. Woo! How tired are you of hearing people refer to the decade and last year and saying shit like, I'll see you next year? <laughs> you know, I avoided it. I think I avoided it for the most part. So this is the first thing I wanted to bring up. I avoided it mostly, but I had my brother telling me about all of these. We live together, and he's very active on Instagram. And the amount of people that were overcoming traumas in 2019 but never talked about it during 2019 but yeah. are now revealing that 2019 was the worst year of their life and everything is going to get better uh was staggering yeah and it there was and then we kind of he was telling me he was reviewing some of these people's 2019s the posts were all happiness light and love and then on december 31st it was this has been the worst hardest year of my life i've been dealing with demons yeah <laughs> And I thought that was just interesting. Yeah, yeah. Dude, Instagram's the highlight reel. Yeah. It's no joke. Well, then it weirdly enough becomes popular at one moment to stop and say, actually, everyone, yeah, I'm really sad. <laughs> but 2020 is going to turn it all around. Exactly. I saw, a great, I saw a great meme, which is like, I hate to break it to you guys, but if your life has been terrible in 2019 you're the problem and it's not going to get better just because it's 2020 yes and and also not necessarily i mean you could have you know three of the closest people to you could have died right sure. and this was and more distance for, from that yeah. this was more for the people who are just like self-inflicted wounds yes yes i thought that was just interesting that i was trying to figure out why this day of all days is it popular and cool and this is you you elected to say that this was the hardest year of your life you weren't just not sharing that you chose to write a long post about how difficult this was yeah it's interesting that you gain social brownie points on special occasions for actually sharing your depression yeah uh and it, we we've talked about this with certain authors that we've we've read in the past i was just gonna bring this up it's it's totally acceptable to talk about things that were hard in the past mm -hmm. and i think what to what december 31st lets you do 
is say, this year has been really hard, but I'm going to turn it around in 2020. Yeah. And I, we've seen that with authors. Everybody that shares likes to share about things that are finished, mm-hmm. you know? And when things are currently bad, when the business is currently failing, very rarely do the business gurus come out and say it. It's only when they're on the other side, they go, yeah. whew, two years ago, I almost <laughs> went bankrupt. But here's how I turned it around, and you can too. This was frustrating. So I read, I think it's a great book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It talks about systematizing your business. Mm-hmm. And I read that. I was going to, oh, he's got another book. I'm going to read it. And little do you know that after he wrote that book, his business fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... You didn't say that. Because <laughs> of systems. Yes. because Specifically because yes, of systems. Because he tried to franchise everything, which is the essentially the message of this yeah. first book is to build a franchise. And it's like, I'm glad that you're sharing this at some point, but there was a point earlier on where you knew this wasn't working mm-hmm. and you collected money from telling people that it was working without the addendum of, Oh, not all the time, not under these circumstances. Well, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I have no insider information, but Neil Strauss is an author who wrote a book about the importance of monogamy and marriage and how great it is. Mm -hmm. And then according to the internet, subsequently got divorced. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to tell unless you find his ex-wife's Instagram that anything (laughs) happened. Like he doesn't mention it. He's still teaching relationship stuff. People like to share their past failures, especially when they've overcome them, and especially when they're trying to monetize that hero's journey and sell it to you. But people really don't like to talk about the current troubles they're having, and they hide them. Well, even his first book, The Game, which he wrote, was he ends that book as the world's greatest pickup artist. In his words. In his own words. Yep. And then he starts his next book, the one where he discovers monogamy, as this bumbling fool around women yeah he's really nervous and it's a few months or years and you're like wait a second how what happened between making all the money on that book and 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 being in the most difficult time of your life and i get it i mean i can i can i guess have empathy for him which is he he did make an improvement was tempted to oversell the improvement his relationship ended in six months, but he's collecting all this royalty. What is he going to do? Take the book off the shelves and say, no. I was yeah, yeah. Like, well, this is why I think people should just be skeptical yeah. and, and look at the advice and how it works in their own life. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you're learning from a guru, that guru may be being dishonest to mm-hmm. monetize you. Yeah. And I don't. And, and even, you know, we've, we've called Neil Strauss by name, but that that's not to say that he's exceptionally worse than the average person. I mean, this all started no, 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 no. by saying this no. is not people don't share this, the difficulties that yeah, are present. He's just tense. an example that people might go, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, yeah. I saw when he wrote the truth and it yeah. made the media rounds and everyone was lauding him. I didn't know that they had gotten divorced. Sure. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins, but the one thing I've always wanted from him was an honest discussion of his first divorce. Mm-hmm. And he's barely spoken about it even in the past and certainly real time i would love some insight into okay the, he, he and his first wife got a, divorced after i believe 11 years like i'd love year 10 tony talking about his experience because mm-hmm. what better way to understand the red flags or, or bad signs of a relationship than to get it at that moment yep. what he's thinking feeling seeing how he's uh, failingly trying to salvage it, that's such useful information, but unfortunately doesn't doesn't bode well for business, I suppose. Yeah. And yeah, you just don't get it. <laughs> so that that's what, what I thought about 2020. Anything else that you brought to no, the well, table today? I, I wonder why, why do you think that you can't post 
October 1st about how hard the year's been and get the same amount of likes and love and stuff. I wonder if you would. I think you would. Why does it feel like it's unsafe to do in the middle of the year? Well, I think there's different different kinds of people. So there's some people we all have like kind of a ratio of the type of attention that we want and need to get. So mm. for some people it's completely off limits to ever talk about a difficulty that they've had. For other people, that's the main mode of communication that yeah. they have is this has been a hard week. Yeah. <laughs> Work was tough today, you know, yeah. that's that's the primary thing. And I and I guess I guess you could in October, but it's not necessarily this. It's over. Like the year's over. Yeah. It's over. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think it's the, the weird finality. Which is, of course, arbitrary. And yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, speaking of gurus, a yeah. transition, as a guru of as personal guru. development yourself, uh, yes. what do you do about New Year's resolutions? Oh, nada. What? <laughs> why is that, Charlie? Uh, why is that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't celebrate anything. Yeah. I don't. Days, we, one of the most wonderful things that I'm, the, the thing that has been the, the most excellent and weirdly tough to grapple with about our lifestyle is that 10 years ago, we wrote down on a sheet of paper what we wanted our dream day to be like. And I, I can remember, I wake up whenever I want. There's no alarm. Yeah. I look outside, I see the beach. Like my friends are in the same area and they also don't have any, they don't have to do anything. If we want, we can hang out today. Yeah. Like I spent some time with this animal that I have. I have a beautiful wife or girlfriend at the time. You know, this, these are the things that I wrote down and we've come very, very close to actually living that. Mm-hmm. And so what it means is that when there's these days that other people are celebrating by doing something very different, I used to try to be like that. It's like, oh, today's going to be different. And every time I made a day different than that day, it was worse. Yeah. <laughs> So all of the vacations that I've taken have almost been worse. And this is a, this is a problem. It's not even a problem. I'm just, it's, it's just wonderful. Explaining. No, and when I was in investment banking, I went hard at the holidays. Yeah, yeah. SantaCon, I'm blacking out. <laughs> we're, going, we're going totally ham at any excuse because mm-hmm. my day-to-day was so terrible yeah. that I just was so grateful for any, anything that any wasn't break. that. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of those breaks were alcohol-driven because oh, it, it was hard at the alcohol. Let me black out. Let me turn off consciousness while still technically moving around was, yeah. was the goal of, of a lot of that. Did and I tell you when I was an intern, I got called into the office drunk on a Saturday? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I went day drinking with a buddy, and we went pretty aggressive. And uh, I don't condone this. I was young at the time. But we were at a strip club, and it was about 2 p.m. And my on phone buzzes. On a Saturday. <laughs> my phone buzzes. And I was just like, oh, God. He goes, what? I got I to gotta go. <laughs> and I called the guy that I'm working for. I got, dude, I got to go home and shower. I got to sober up. I'm drunk. I'm covered in glitter. He's like, no, this is an emergency. You come in right now. No way. So I did. I was an intern. <laughs> I just got in a cab, showed up at the office. I was like, I will do my best, dude. I don't feel like I'm the most useful asset to you right now, but here I am. I do think, and, and, and I don't mean to judge on this, but... Certainly in my own life, the amount of alcohol consumption, with perhaps the exception of college, which it really was just this exciting new thing, oh, yeah. has been very tied to my the amount that I wanted to disconnect from my day to day life. Yeah, in if you're college, twenty five though. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Get it no, no. In college, I give my. I, I just was being a American college kid, which yeah. was drinking often. I but, even say I say young twenties. You still go ham. Sure. But uh, yeah, after for me, it was kind of the, after that first-ish year, nah, man, I, I stopped drinking the more that I liked my life. Mm-hmm. Is, is For me, what happened, I don't know if that's true of everybody, but there is something about alcohol that just is disconnecting, right? Well, I stopped drinking because I went on Accutane, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's never started again. Yeah, yeah. 
and and uh, that was around the time that I moved to New York. We were spending more time enjoying, like, going out and socializing, learning yeah. how to do it. Well, that's the other thing. I you cannot learn to be more charismatic if you're drunk all the time. Yeah. Even when you go out and you have a blaze of glory night, where mm-hmm. everyone loves your jokes, yeah. everyone thinks you're attractive. You wake up the next day, you're going, "God, I was on fire last night." What did I say? Even if you weren't blacked out, you just like three drinks, four drinks. You can't learn that way. No. You really can't. So yeah, once once I committed to. I'm going to try to get more comfortable socially. I'm going to try to get more charismatic. That's when that's when my drinking kind of stopped. Yeah. You mentioned the guru thing uh, to start this. So I watched The Rise of Jordan Peterson, which is... Oh, I heard it was good. It, Haven't seen it. It's interesting. It's They had... I don't know why. They had a camera on him prior to his first uh, transgender public thing. And I don't know what they were interviewing him or doing, but there was a camera in the house. Who that, did the documentary? I don't know. They're, they really stay out of it. It's, hmm. I don't even think you hear them ask him a question at any point. He just is talking to the camera. The camera is really an invisible person as far as this, the viewer's yeah, yeah. idea of it. But uh, there's a couple interesting things about it. The one that I took most that was most interesting is you get at one point he starts <laughs> becoming more popular and you see like he's like – you see that person took a selfie with me? <laughs> and they're like, that's crazy. Somebody took a selfie with me. Uh, and if only course, he knew. Yeah. and Sweet then, Jordan Peterson. And, and you see that that come up, which is fascinating. And and I've experienced, you know, the first time somebody took a selfie. But the one thing that I, that I really did kind of take to heart was they show some of his fans prior to going to one of his meetings. Hmm. And – you get to know these kids just over a few minutes and they talk about their life and their thing and they're more articulate in this moment than you eventually see them, which is when they meet Jordan Peterson. And they go up, they're like, you're taller than I thought. <laughs> you know, they, they can't talk, they're nervous. Yeah. And it's, uh, he's nice and of course they're friendly and he gives them a smile and says, thank you so much. And then, and then they're gone. And I've had that experience. Dude, I've seen that. I've seen you have that impact yes. on people. I've seen people shake around you. Yeah, yeah. And again, I feel like I don't mean to humble brag at all. It's, it's, but what I noticed is that I wasn't understanding their perspective. I was just thinking that they're awkward. This, or- no, not this. They're awkward. This is a slightly difficult conversation. And I was, and I'm unfortunately aware that when these things happen, it occasionally happens in the street and I can talk to people. I'm not like Jordan Peterson all the time, but it's often at an event where there's a little line forming and it's, 15 seconds and and i'm cognizant that there's six other people who are trying to take a photo and 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 buying for my attention so i'm trying to be present but failing it almost totally yeah (laughs) and this was it just i don't know it touched me it made me go oh my gosh like these are not this this representation that i'm getting of these people is not even close to how they would behave in a more relaxed environment Mm -hmm. number one number two it means more to them that i'm capable of understanding in those 15 seconds uh and so when it does happen, I'm just going to try. It's hard because I don't know how to manage the fact that you have this much time and this many people. Mm. But it just made me want to try to be more uh, available and present in those times. I don't know how to do it, though. Because yeah. then I was – and I saw, okay, there's a line. What do I do with these other people that are going to feel left out? It's certainly not a relatable <laughs> problem, but that, that I connect Anything with. else interesting? I heard, I heard it does a pretty good job of not painting him as the devil or as a saint. Yeah, the biggest thing that I took is he doesn't – and I've seen a couple of – I've watched a lot. We've made three videos on him. He, I don't know for what reason, doesn't say the sentence, 
that would make people agree with him. So for instance, with the transgender thing, as far as you can tell, in his mind, it's about free speech and compelled speech. So if you're not familiar, Jordan Peterson, professor at the University of Toronto, Bill C-16 comes out that says uh, essentially that the legal code says that you may not even, not if you can technically, but you will be punished if on purpose or not, you misgender someone. And that's whether it's you do it maliciously or, or unwillingly. And he says, no, we can't do this. You can't uh, force speech into my mouth, especially if you're not going to take context or uh, intent into account. And so he takes what I think is, uh, he says, it didn't have to be this subject. It could have been any other subject. And if you take him at his word, you go, okay, this is just, it happens to be related to transgender stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's really from a free speech thing. And well, obviously, and he said if you don't, he's also said if you don't, legally compel him to you just ask him to he'll call you whatever he, you want but he almost never says that but i'm saying he has gone he has gone on record he and doesn't said that. say it frequently yeah. that's he doesn't say it he doesn't say it in this documentary i mean he almost never says it you have to drag it out of him yes and that's the biggest thing that i took from him is like man there's a bridge to be built here and i actually understand your point about free speech but they're they're potentially not getting it and all you have to do is is given like look i know what you're looking for which is if you and i have an interaction I will treat you in this way. My, uh, you want to ask me? Let me prove it to you. Yeah. But he doesn't give that on several of the topics about which you I've seen him discuss with people, even with uh, with Kathy Newman, for instance. That whole thing. So you're saying that lobsters, and he goes, "No, I'm not saying that." His frame is, "No, I'm not saying that." No, I'm not saying that. But he very rarely proactively says, "Look." Here's what I think you're envisioning me as, and here – let me just tell you that I'm not the boogeyman that you think I am for these reasons. I, I do want women to get paid the same amount of money for putting in the same work. That's incredibly important. I just don't want us to average the wages of men and women and divide by the amount of men and women and determine that therefore there's a problem. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he, that's the biggest thing from a rhetorical standpoint that I see is he doesn't, he doesn't extend purposefully or not. Uh, he doesn't seem to step into the other person's perspective, understand how they might be misinterpreting his intent, and proactively connect the bridge. Hmm. Uh, and then, and, but then, of course, he's not wrong when they when they misquote him, and he says, "No, that's not what I'm saying." He just doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. go the extra mile and say, "This is what you're thinking, and this is why I actually don't believe the horrible things that you think I may believe." So that was just an interesting. Uh, if we ever speak to him, I'd love to ask him about that because I think that, that he is clearly, or at least he would say, often misunderstood. And I actually think that there is more that he could do to avoid that. Some of it has been unfair, uh, but certainly some of it. I can, and they show you the, the transgender activist's perspective on the whole thing. And it's useful. But I, what I really wanted, like I get the impression that if you both sat down, took a deep breath, you wouldn't hate each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd be fine. Well, I think we talked about this last week, right? When we were talking about mind bloom and ketamine, mm-hmm. that that a superpower in having any sort of disagreement would be the ability to stay calm. Yeah. Did we talk about that on he, air or he off He often air? does stay calm. He often does stay calm. I'll give him that. Yeah, we talked about that on air. Uh, but it's just that it's just that going the extra mile to say, hey, here's how I think you're misinterpreting what I mean to be saying, and I understand how, and here's why I don't think that particular thing. I don't mean to deny your existence as a transgender person. I just don't want the government throwing me in jail for uh, for words. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's a slippery slope, and he he uh, there's a disconnect there, and and it's unfortunate. 
So, yeah. Worth um, watching? Maybe. You might take something different from it than what I did. Uh, Should I watch that or Parks and Rec? <laughs> Parks and Rec is pretty good. Have you watched Parks and Rec? I've been watching it, yeah. So I so I used to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I always like to have this show, these 20-minute shows that I watch to remind yeah. me to be goofy. Yeah. So I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I do an episode a day. Then I ran out of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So for a while, I had nothing. And recently, I discovered Parks and Rec. The first episode was painful to watch, and I almost quit. But then really? someone was like, it gets a lot better. So I started at season three. I, I figured the plot can't be that complicated, and it's great. So now I'll do like an episode a day just to remind me to be more goofy i never watched it but i watched andy dwyer's chris pratt's character yeah just go to youtube it's incredible and the best of andy dwyer on youtube is yeah. like the best 13 minutes of your life yeah it's awesome it's so good did you know food is energy <laughs> this is a donut yeah he's great it just reminds you to be a goofball yeah no brother nature you can call me brother nature <laughs> no it's good so you're saying stick with parks and rec not the jordan peterson doc yeah it's probably for the podcast ready here we go jp jordan peterson document or humans Humans, documentary humans okay far more touching okay yeah that one's great um definitely humans and if you guys haven't watched it it's on youtube it's yeah. free it's yeah we, we talked about it a lot of the podcast i watched so. joker actually did i tell you that did no you, did you watch it no i've never seen it so i'm gonna do a video on it yeah. uh what, what, this is the movie that beforehand everyone was freaking out because they thought it was going to lead to a bunch of gun violence and mm-hmm. then afterwards everyone just went well that was kind of a boring movie uh, well, actually, so the people that don't like character studies hate it. It was a really polarizing movie. Yeah. If, if you don't like character studies, you hated this movie. My sister walked out. Uh, she but, walked out? Yeah. She's like, I can't deal with this. Wow. She just, and not because she was like, it's too violent. She's just like, it's too boring. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought that the character is interesting. It paints a picture of a guy who was already on the edge and going over the edge. And mm-hmm. it, I think it does a, a good job of that without... One of the interesting things, is, and we've talked about this, is that he's the narrator. He's the character. He's the guy you follow with the camera. Yes. Yeah, we talked about this last and week. so he's, of course, very sympathetic. And yep. you don't necessarily agree with everything that he did, but you understand and get it. And this is a point that I'm going to make in the video. At one point at the end of it, he's giving his Joker speech. You know, He says, none of these people consider what it's like to be the other guy. They, nobody thinks about what it's like to be me. Nobody thinks. And I really think like the deepest... Uh, one of the deeper readings of the Joker is like, this, isn't, this is what you do. You don't consider what it would be like to be the guy on the talk show because you think everything is lovely and happy and he's got a great and wonderful life. And if he teases your stand-up thing that he's a horrible, awful, rotten human, you don't consider that he maybe runs a charity in his spare time, sure. has a family, uh, is being pushed to make these jokes by his producers, and that he teases people fairly and evenly and, and you know maybe he got went a little bit too hard on you. Like you, you also are guilty of the things of which you accuse these other people. Sure, and which is often the case. Yes, yes. And so, I mean, one of the points that I that I want to make in there is about, like, his criticisms of society. And there are certainly cases where he's jumped and you go, okay, that's – you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you should – I don't know what to tell you. That's uh, not good behavior and yeah. you're, you're warranted in your frustration and saying that that is not a good thing to do. Uh, but you don't see too many acts of kindness from him. And granted, his life is hard and difficult and tough, but, like, he's not – wonderful and doesn't go out of his way to cheer up the the sad people around him i mean he's a clown at one point but like in his personal life you don't see the things that he would like from other people yeah and he doesn't seem to recognize at one point he's uh, not the change he wants to see in the world exactly Gandhi would not be impressed exactly now granted he has mental illness i'm not saying that he ought to be because his character you have to go at some point this guy has hallucinations and these things and and a history of abuse and at some point you go 
Okay. <laughs> sure. You're just saying for the viewer. For the audience who goes, oh my God, I connect with this because people aren't nice to me. Yeah. It's like, pause. Who are you nice to? Yes. Yeah. That's not the only point that I think that the movie is making on a deeper level. And it's very good. It can be read uh, or viewed on a number of stages. It's got the question of what is real? How reliable is this narrator? Um, so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting movie. Now, the only unfortunate thing is because I'm viewing it from a charisma breakdown perspective, it totally affects my my appreciation of the movie. Like yeah. I'm like pausing and rewinding scenes to grab the seconds that I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. I want. So I probably enjoyed it less than I would have had I interesting had I just sat there in a theater. And, worth watching? Uh, is it worth watching? Yeah, I think it's worth watching. I think I, it's not right up your alley. Joker but, or humans? <laughs> I mean, humans touch. <laughs> I like humans, man. That's the one that gets. That's just me. gonna be our new podcast. Segment. <laughs> Joker, human. Joker, human. <laughs> I liked human. Is it human or humans? Um, but yeah, so I watched that. There will probably be a video on on those sorts of things and how they. I'm gonna have to frame this very well. It's like yes, Joker has mental illness, but if you, the audience, don't have mental illness, and there are things that you can learn that he does that compound his problems, make them worse. Interesting. Uh, without absolving, you know, the, this isn't to say that society shouldn't take better care of people with mental yeah, yeah. illness or be more compassionate, but here's... What's one of them? So that's one is that he projects, is, is one of them. The other one is that um, it's fantasizing versus visualization is uh, a big yep. one. So he has these fantasies where, like, without doing anything... Without contributing or practicing stand up, he just stands up and kills it. Or like he shows up at this guy's late night show who he loves and he's called out of the audience and he's called downstairs and the guy says, You know, I wish I, you know, I wish you were my son. I wish I had a son like you. And it's like, that's fantasizing where yeah. you just imagine that, that glorious moment on stage in front of 50,000 people. Visualization is that plus you imagine practicing your scales. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine playing and all of the effort that comes into. Or that goes into becoming the type of person that does get his hand raised at the end of the match. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. If it's a fight, I mean, for me with MMA, visualization isn't picturing yourself at the end with your hand raised. Yes. It's picturing walking in, getting taken down, mm -hmm. getting your ass kicked, and somehow escaping. Mm -hmm. Like you're visualizing, practicing your escapes. Yeah, and then all the way through to victory. Yes, yeah. and even and even and that's on the day of. Even prior to that, you're thinking, I'm going to be practicing. You know, I'm going to be doing two days for weeks. Well, that's a separate thing. So <laughs> yes. there's like, there's fantasizing. I, I think I wrote an article about this, but there's like fantasizing and visualization. And the difference is fantasizing, you just view the outcome you want. Mm. Visualization, you view the road to get there. Yeah. But then on top of that, if you're trying to be a stand up comedian, in addition to visualizing, <laughs> you'd be writing jokes every day. You'd be doing stand up every day. It, I have yeah. a friend who's trying to be a stand up comedian. He goes to open mics mm -hmm. all the time and performs in front of six people. And it's to work on his timing and see what yeah. hits. And he bombs. And then he goes, cool, not that one. Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's putting in a ton of work in addition yeah. to visualizing. He's got – and with the Joker, it's – it's you can watch the, the movie, but there's the – Nah, ruin it. The scenes – well, for those uh, – there's been some spoilers, but I'll tell you a spoiler. Uh, if those of you don't want to hear, click a few minutes ahead. So there's this – the most weird part of the movie as you're watching it is that he has this neighbor, Zazie Beats, who plays uh, – is it Domino in in Deadpool? She's the sure. one that's get that gets lucky. Gets lucky. Yeah. So it's that girl, and they have this. You know, she speaks to him once. They have this relationship, and then kind of out of nowhere, he just like strolls in. Like he stalks her, and she's like weirdly cool with it. And then, and then he like strolls in the apartment, makes out with her, and then they're on, on dates. And you're like, this is a little bit 
weird. This is some wish fulfillment. And then you find out that it is, that it never happened. Oh, he's hallucinating. That he's hallucinating this entire relationship with her. And basically what happened were a few awkward interactions. And then he thought they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And that's exactly the thing of like his process to having a girlfriend is like I walk into her house after murdering three people and we make out about it. Like like there's no – uh, hey, this is a little bit odd, but I, I know you've been around here. Would you like to get coffee? And then we talk. And then yeah, we, we get coffee. And we see if we like each other. <laughs> you know I mean? It doesn't work out. We get coffee. I get coffee with ten other women. Yeah. One of them likes me. Yeah. yeah. So it's that that element of fantasy. At first, you're watching the movie. and You're like, ah, oh, this is breaking my immersion. But then you're like, ah, oh, that's awesome <laughs> because yeah. it wasn't real. And that's it's almost a payoff and for for your skepticism about their relationship because nice it wasn't real <laughs> so that that was the fantasy and visualization piece there's there's a handful of other things that i'll put in there but i won't yeah, yeah we won't spoil run, it we won't run the whole video i was just curious um and then the other this is one other random thing this is an f but so i was looking up our buddy thomas frank mm-hmm. uh he and his several other content creators have created this platform where they share some of their videos it's called nebula um I think it used to have a different name. Have you? Did you ever see it? He and all these other guys who do no. infotainment type stuff release some of their videos, and there's it's a subscription model. It's like three bucks a month or something to watch these videos. I have no idea how it's doing, but when I was considering Disney Plus, it made me think that this Nebula idea wouldn't work. And it, the reason is, as I as I think about this, is more of a business thing. The landscape of these content services Mm -hmm. people don't seem to sign up for like the netflix's hbo's whatever for like oh i'll be able to watch any show when i want like they sign up to hbo because they want a game of thrones yeah and it's this one piece of tentpole content that you're willing to genuinely pay like 60 bucks a year for yeah disney plus will get me as soon as there's a original marvel content that i hear is good yes and then i'm in and And until then they you're, won't have you're me. not. They and, don't have me now. And The Mandalorian got a bunch of people. And Disney's maybe the one exception, which is like, okay, you've got so many things that I like. But that, even even holding them even to the for side. Me, it's just going to be whenever their version of The Witcher comes out, some show I, that I want to watch. And I'll go, all right, fine. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, okay, so I don't, I'd love to talk to Thomas about this. Maybe I'm dead wrong about the business model. But it seems to me that throwing volume of content mm-hmm. at an audience is not a good business strategy as opposed to – and then I'm not saying that – ours is better i'd love to see and talk to him about this but we sell charisma university which is highly tailored highly specific one thing it costs six hundred dollars yeah but does well for us because it's the tentpole content it's the game of thrones of charisma yeah, yeah. you don't <laughs> join charisma university if you're interested in anything but charisma exactly. if you're interested in charisma then it's very exciting it becomes very valuable yeah. to you and i think that i see a lot of uh there's even this tendency within our company okay let's add more to it what else does it need and instead of being like let's not let's not clutter this with other stuff let's only put absolutely amazing things that are worth taking money out of your pocket and paying for and if you're going to add that that can be your bonus but just thinking from that from a a business perspective well that's why i won't name names but there's there's a course platform that has asked us for sponsorships in the past and we would love to do it because they offer good money exactly it but we have I, you, and one other person in our company each tried to find a course that we liked, and there are hundreds of courses, but there are so many courses that you can't find the good ones through the bad ones, and Mm -hmm. so we don't feel comfortable recommending it to people because it's just a giant 
aggregator of courses of all quality. Yeah. Which is not something I would ever recommend to a friend. And so why would I recommend it to my audience? Especially when there's a YouTube out there. Or Masterclass, yeah. which I would love to work yep. with. Masterclass, if you're listening, please. <laughs> I want to promote you. Yeah. I'm doing it for free right now. Uh, then it's like, okay, we have one basketball course by Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, all of a sudden this is way more appealing to me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The Carlos Santana guitar course or yeah. the Christina Aguilera singing course. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that's, then there's a value prop that exactly. I get. Exactly. And then they're, again, trying to do, with the, which is somewhere in the middle of like, or you can get all of our master classes. But the difference between one course is $99. All of their courses is $199. Yeah. It doubles and you get everything. That is the value of a single course. And that, that's what it like appealing with your Game of Thrones or your Witcher or your Stranger Things or whatever. It, it also makes me consider that from the content that we make, which is... There can be a tendency to – we've talked about this. Do we want to like post twice a week? We're even having a hard time with me posting once a week. Uh, I don't want to throw volume at people. Similar mm-hmm. with this podcast, I want to try to find a way to make it a higher Well, the people content. have spoken. They don't like when we talk about news and politics, so we're going to stay away <laughs> unless it's something we're extremely interested in. Yeah, yeah. So that that's all. Uh, and I could be dead wrong about Nebula. I haven't gotten the numbers behind yeah. it. If you're interested, I'm not saying that it's not good. I just am thinking about the psychology of – what makes people join these types of programs in the first place. Uh, and then the last thing that I had for, so I read some more of love yourself, like your life depends on it. Cool. And another sort of, uh, thought about that was I got to the second section. I read the whole first book. I think it's great. It's exactly what I realize a book should be. A for, the, the, here's I'm stepping back. The form factor of information is critical. And the best thing that books do, I'm curious, what do you think that the best thing that a book can do for you? Think of the best books in your life. Uh, it can take a concept and use story to make it stick. To inspire you. Yeah. Right? It's inspiration. Like the four-hour work week is not exactly a game plan. And it's got some good concepts that you can apply, but it's not like day one, do this. Day two, do this. Day three, do this. It's no, same this- with essentialism. Yep. Same with a lot of things. Yeah, the, the, the best thing they can do is use story to motivate you. Yes, to continue. And so what happens with the second part, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, and the first book that I wrote had like a 30-day action guide. That's the second part. And it's like, okay, step one, sit down, do this meditation, do this, and I started doing it, and it takes you 20 minutes to get through a page. And you're like, okay, I did my thing. And you look to the next one, it's like, okay, now do the, and, and you're like, okay. <laughs> this, is uh-huh. not, this is not how books are often and best consumed. Yeah. Uh, there's this desire to get to the next page. And what's valuable is when you're being inspired and you, and the story is, is weaving this uh, hypnotic thing that is really triggering you to continue with it. But I do think that action steps in books often don't get done because of the form factor of a book. And so that's what we've tried to do with Charisma University is break it into video days, yeah. right? So that it's 20 minutes of video a day. Uh, and it really just, it made me think, okay, if I'm going to write a book, it's got to be to inspire people. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to create a video course, it's got to be to do this. But it also made me think, what are the other, and I, you don't have to answer this now. I want to talk to you later today. Given that our course could be anything, we can change the form factor. It could be an online group of people. It could be various different things. How do each of those impact the value that one could take from that? Sure. Like for instance, I think one of the things that I don't like about in-person events, yes, one weekend in-person events, is that the current the current norm for that is that the weekend itself is very inspiring mm-hmm. with very little to keep you going. 
And so everybody goes to these weekend events. They think their life has been changed. They come out going, oh my God, that was amazing. I'm so inspired. I'm so motivated. My life's changed forever. And a month later, they are in the exact same place that they were before because they don't have any continuous daily action plans. They don't tend to have a Mm -hmm. weekly call. Or if they do, you fall out. Like Landmark Forum has a follow-up that's free where you you have a meeting once a week, I think it is, or something like that. And people just stop going yeah. because there's something missing. The form factor. I'm t- like the, And this is a great example. So this is what I want to consider. If our goal in our business, for instance, is to help people become more confident, live, lead happier lives, we can give them different pieces of that in different mediums. Sure. So the YouTube video is uh, – honestly, that's just to hook your attention. You yep. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like hopefully it helps with your life, but – uh, it's not organized in such a way that it's going to be easy to apply because that's what the form factor of YouTube means. It's, it's a 10-minute video. Exactly. It can't be an all-encompassing thing. And so that's one piece. But you mentioned, okay, you have these weekend events. What are they good for? Insane inspiration and the beginning of community. But when it's like, okay, now we're going to take this offline and we're going to call you once a week, nobody wants to participate in yep. that. You had me for 48 hours. I don't want to get on this phone call when I go back to my life. But what did stick with us, and I know the courses that we've gone through – the most are Gracie University. Which yeah, incredible. People like jujitsu. I've been to all sorts of gyms. Gracie University is an online program that's way better than any in-person training I've yeah. had. And it still has issues. It's too long. It's like an hour per day. It should be 20 minutes. That's, yeah, that's, and it, the UI is bad. Yeah, yeah but it's it's. But the form incredible. factor of one move per day, one one thing yeah. per day is excellent. And they build on each other. Yes. And the Tony Robbins course that we personal went through. Personal power. Personal power too. The, we, all of my friends went through essentially all 30 days. Because yeah. when you have an audio thing, you're like, oh, I can listen to this for 20 minutes in my morning or 30 minutes in my yeah. morning. No, that's what inspired our Charisma University format. Yes. So that it just made me think we're getting VR. We have the option of in-person events. Uh, we've talked about psychedelics. And it'd be really interesting to treat them all as puzzle pieces that give you some element of what you need to create lasting change in your life and to organize them in the most effective way i think would be a fun project and hopefully very useful because try as he might and i think the book is very good i think that the second section is like this people do not that's not how they use books oftentimes Mm. you're going to get maybe one percent of the people who use it to actually go through the action steps and stop at the end of this chapter which you often see in those books like nope (laughs) (laughs) i'm reading on (laughs) so anyway i still really like the book but it it made me consider that yeah interesting what else you got that's it man yes baby hold on i think i'm gonna have one more before we hop to news um nope i don't let's do it what do you got for us justin all right first one up is about new year's resolutions oh yeah (laughs) yeah it had to be um so it's about a study by um a company called the framingham i I didn't write down the name but it's framingham scientists and they took um 5,209 people in the 70s and they tracked their descendants as well as who their descendants married and ended up with a study totaling um 12,067 people overall and they were researching their social networks not like facebook but like real life social (laughs) networks and, Who likes their photos? Gotcha. Yeah, and so the research indicated that a person was far more likely to become obese if someone in their circle had also become obese, and it suggested that they were 57% more likely if it was a friend, 40% if it was a sibling, and 37% if it was a spouse. And then... Wait, in- more likely if it's a friend than a spouse? Yes. Wow. And then the influence levels were higher if the person was, or if the two people were of the same gender, and then it was proportional to how much a person liked the other person that they were in a relationship with. 
and that's interesting. I'm trying to I'm trying to square this with what I understand. And this was a lot of people. You said this was like twelve thousand people at the end of it. Yeah, with all the descendants and then the people who married into the study. Okay. And they, I think, in total, they lost like ten people total okay. in the study who like either dropped out or just died. Interesting. Um, and then they had like offshoot studies with other companies that found out that um the influence this influence you know is not just in obesity um it's present in a lot of non-contagious conditions like smoking um and it was similar the biggest thing that i found with you said was that it was more friends and same sex than spouse is that do you know if that carries for smoking as well i would assume so they didn't go into depth for the other well the thing i think so i believe i i buy this there's a saying you're the you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with i subscribe to that theory the hard thing is okay so let's say that you are listening to this right now and you go i want to get in shape and my friends are obese what do you do you i mean you don't just want to cut ties with your closest friends yeah but at the same time you now know they're making it much harder for you to achieve your goals assuming they're not going the same direction yeah so what do you do i mean what i did when i wanted to change was just ask all my friends who wanted to come with me and you said yes <laughs> and some people yeah the a people, lot of people, the people said who no. were less on board were the ones that we grew apart from i didn't cut any friends really but my yeah, just grow apart it's kind of like oh, i found one friend to go to the gym with i'm going to the gym now every day that friend's not coming to the gym and that that's what happened with you and i is we just we decided that we were going to do all the same activities together. Other people were invited yep. and didn't want to participate in, in that to the same degree. Mm-hmm. And then our friends became the people that were interested in those activities. Because so, that's who you're spending time with. Sure, yeah. the gym's a good analogy. Like if you have a lifting buddy, so let's say everyone works a nine to five, hypothetically for this, right? And then after work, you're going to the gym for two hours. The friend who doesn't go to the gym, you won't have to cut. You just won't be seeing mm-hmm. because they won't be there and you'll be with whoever is there. Yeah interesting well the, the what i do think is let's presume that this is in fact the case and it holds for people on average what that makes me think is that one of the most important things for achieving and even falling to a certain standard is if the person is like you and so it's same sex a friend and it's anecdotal but like my dad is not in the best shape and my mom does p90x to the extreme and yeah. has for like 10 plus years yeah and it's interesting because that i see they don't compare to one another yeah, like yeah. my dad's like yeah i'm not i'm not a woman and my mom is like yeah i'm not yeah, yeah. like him you know even though we're husband and no, wife same my dad works out all the time my mom has some she has fibromyalgia so she can't mm-hmm. right but they don't begrudge the other person or try to do what the other person doing. they're not like trying to be consciously or unconsciously like one another yeah. when it's when you are so evident no they're happy to, i think they're happy to yin yang in some cases you uh-huh. know my, my dad made the money and my mom was a stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. there was i think my mom would like my dad's exercise <laughs> <laughs> but uh i guess that that is fascinating that that we likely compare ourselves more even to people that we don't spend as much time with but that we perceive as as being more like us and you said that that, that they like and are like yeah is uh a powerful influence That's we have it. a friend like that actually when whenever he's with the crew he gets jacked and he goes to the gym every day and then when he's when he goes off into a different ecosystem without us stops working out completely yeah and I mean, I don't know that I did this to you, but I think I was probably the first of our group to stop caring so much about the gym in the last two years. And you don't go nearly as much. Ah, but I surf every day for like two hours. <laughs> sure, sure. But I mean, I think if you went back to three, four years ago and were like, "What is my, what is my drive to go to the gym?" It was, it was higher, right? Dude, I don't want to. I don't want to be. I think I started it. 
You in, do? In Brazil, round two. Yeah. I was surfing and doing jiu-jitsu every day and not lifting. And you and Benji were lifting every day, right? Interesting. So, yeah, I was going to the gym in Brazil. Yeah. I was surfing. That's how I hurt my back. I would surf every morning, do jiu-jitsu every night. There was no time for lifting. You got messed up. Interesting. Anything else from that study? Um, nope. I just thought it was, you know, it was, I mean, it's, it's anecdotally true yeah. for a lot of people. I so think. what do you do if no one follows you? Let's say you want to be an entrepreneur, right? So mm-hmm. I think who found four hour work week was me or you. It was me, right? Mm-hmm. I call you. I say, dude, this book's going to change our lives, right? You read it. You love it. Let's say you read it. You don't like it. Mm-hmm. I give it to all my other friends. They read it. They don't like it. <laughs> now, what do I do? Well, now no one's coming with me. That's a, that is a, uh, it's never happened to me. Whenever I found a book that was powerfully spoke to me, it connected with someone mm. that was in my friend group. Mm. And so the number one thing is rather than – this is – I've mentioned this. Rather than try to convince anyone to to take the lessons from the book, like we can start a business. We can do this. Like, no, please just read the book because the book is going to be a far more persuasive communicator of this new concept than I could ever be. Yeah, and you go wide I think yeah. is what you're saying. You don't just try to pick one person and go, you should do this. You yeah, go, yeah. you 10 people should read this and only six do and only yeah. two like it. And you go, you're my two. Yeah, yeah. Now you're my two entrepreneur friends. Sure. And then the other thing that I've seen people do is they use the internet to get these meetup.com. They, yeah. they go, okay, none of my friends want this. And this is how some of our friends have found us mm-hmm. is they they came to our meetup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they like they showed up. We did the first personal development meetup. New York personal development meetup. Yep. Yeah. And they were none of my friends are into this, but here's a room of sixty people and you guys spoke and they waited till afterwards to come speak to us yeah. type thing. So I think that's the other thing. You start with friends and if you can't get friends, then you go, Okay, this community is out there. They exist. Yeah. Where do they meet? Uh, and I think in person is going to be better. I know that some people have been able to effectively do this with just internet forums and that kind of stuff. But for me, I need a, I need a human. That's actually a great point because when I did MMA, no one really came with me, Mm -hmm. but I went to the MMA gym and there were dudes that went every day. And so if I went every day and they went every day within a week, we're hanging out, you get meals after and and then that's it. That's it. Now you have a community. And so I have a different community for MMA than for everything else. But I do have to your point, Justin, people to inspire me to go because mm-hmm. they're going, hey, you coming tomorrow? This happens all the time. I'm like, yeah. ah, <laughs> I wasn't going to. Oh, come on, man. You got to. <sighs> so, yeah, you can you can. I think it's because that's a question I get a lot. I don't know if you get it a lot. I get emailed that a lot. None of my friends want to learn charisma. Mm. What do I do? Or, hey, I'm trying to learn this. None of my friends want to go to the bar or the party. What do I do? So, yeah, this it's, is what it's not the, the end. Yeah. It's not a death knell for your goals. And then your this friends is won't going back you. to the form factor thing. I wonder if we can try to solve that problem. I want to. I yeah. want to with CU. Yeah. If we can figure out if how to connect. If the, it's like, hey, I, I, my friend group isn't doing it for me. Where's the equivalent of that MMA gym that I can go show up yeah. at and meet seven, eight other people, you know, who I may or may not get along with all of them, but one of them can be my, my go-to person for this. Yeah. Uh, but so, in the meantime, people have improv classes gyms specific to their hobbies, teams. I, w- I did Zog Sports with your brother, actually. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't find five friends to play <laughs> basketball with, so we just signed up for a random team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can, yeah, yeah, it's out there because I get asked that a lot. I don't know if you get asked that a lot. But. For sure. I think that's a that's sufficient answer. What else we got? The next one is something I thought was interesting. I think you guys will think is interesting. It's about senior citizens becoming gamers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of statistics in uh, this article. Send but- this to my mom. yeah so in 2016 there were 40 million senior gamers which is already kind of surprising to me yeah um and then by 2019 the number increased by over 10 million so now it's 51 million so i wonder is that people aging into it or are 60 year olds picking up video games i think they just start playing Wii something 
Yeah, a lot of them. So their favorite genre is puzzle and logic games okay. and card and tile game genres by okay, like a large so margin. They're turn-based. They're turn-based. Oh, my mom does play these on her iPad. She's got these different... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my mom loves Words with Friends. Got I it. think turn-based games are way more uh, accessible for people who don't have experience with video games because yeah, yeah. you can just pause uh-huh. and take your time versus if you're trying to do Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just overwhelming if it's you've never played a video game fast. before. That's awesome. Yeah, there were these funny like these funny you know senior citizens like talking about how like she was like this one this one girl or this one old woman was like a, a bowler for like her entire life so now her and her friends get together twice a week and play wee bowling yeah and, like other senior citizens will watch and like cheer them on that's awesome yeah that's great and because i think up until now we mentioned this it's been what are your options to get out be physical and 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 play a game as a senior citizen it was like golf tennis maybe yeah but, you know, basketball, you're done. Football, you're definitely done. Uh, baseball, you can't really continue to play. The nice thing is, especially with the Wii, there's some movement going on. You're still kind of throwing the ball, but you can do it in your house and you can yeah. get people to come over. I love that. I want uh, I want that for, for myself. So I'm going to make sure yeah, yeah. That I stay on the cutting edge of this VR. I got to see if there's something on there for my dad because he's, he's going to retire soon. and He's been playing sports his whole life. He mm. was an incredible hockey player. But you can't play hockey at 62. Yeah, yeah. That'll kill you. You can't play at 42. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've been out of it for, for a while at that point. Yeah, that's – uh, I dig that. Ivan actually – so our COO is here. He brought a VR headset. Oh, God. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to see how it goes. We're going to be doing charisma in the, <laughs> in the virtual. VR charisma. There's opportunities there, mock interviews and things like yeah. that, being able to go through the, the social – uh, the social situations that scare you, putting mm-hmm. on a VR helmet and getting reps, yeah. I think. There's value to that. So we uh, – I don't know that uh, – I'm thinking a lot about the business because I've been reading these books. Loon Shots, which I spoke about earlier. It talks about two types of innovation. P-type, which is I think product type, and S-type, which is strategy type. And uh, we have been, I would say, mostly a strategy. Like we haven't invented or jumped on a, a, a new technology yeah, yeah. early in its – in its development. We're not We've, even on TikTok. The strategy was to do the breakdown format, mm-hmm. right? That that was available to everyone, did not require an engineer or, or any sort of technologist. But uh, it does talk about how a balance of these, and one is not sufficient because it gives you great examples of these uh, incredibly innovative companies like Kodak who invented the digital camera but didn't know the strategy. They're like, what are we going to do when we can't sell film? Let's bury this. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Tell yeah. no one that this exists. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah. You know, Xerox, who invented basically everything and then just didn't know how to commercialize any of it. So it's not enough to invent it, but neither is it enough to just do strategy. Mm-hmm. You have to innovate at some point. And so I'm, I am interested in – I think it's very easy for me to think about our business as a YouTube channel. Like what we do is we make YouTube videos. How do we keep making YouTube videos? Mm-hmm. And forget that we're trying to solve a problem for people, which is I don't feel as confident as I'd like to or I don't have the friend group or whatever. And then think, okay, how has technology developed in the last yeah. three years? How can we now make those things easier for people to do? So I do want to get into this, this VR. VR space. Yeah, cool. VR or whatever or, or use mobile phones to connect people in a different way. I think that I think there's a technology play coming up. I agree. We can talk about it offline. Technology could be psychedelic in nature. We'll find out. <laughs> By the way, this might not happen. In a week or two, I have my my sit with MDMA. Ah, so you've like, never done it before. No, I haven't. 
So I am making MDMA therapy, right? MDMA therapy. Yes. So very very different situation than most people find themselves in when doing MDMA. You put an eye mask on, correct? You put an eye mask on. They play you music. Is it it self-guided therapy or is it questions from the person? I think that they may, like you write down your intentions and the therapist may occasionally remind you of your intention or just Mm. be like, go back to your intention. But it's very self-guided. I believe mostly. And then there's the decompression speaking about it with some insights. Uh, but that's coming up. Less flashing lights and dancing than most people experience on yeah, MDMA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Far, well, we'll see. <laughs> I've never done it. I'm uh, nervous and excited. And Nice. We got Don't be nervous. Up. Relative to the other things, it's easy. Yeah. So I got that. That's exciting. What else? Last one is about Alex Jones and the Sandy Hook defamation mm. case from yeah. a while ago. Yeah. So he was charged to pay another 100 k Another? Wow. Yep. So, um, yeah, for people who might not know, he originally had stated on his show that um, Sandy Hook, the shooting was a staged hoax and that the family were paid crisis Crisis actors. actors, Yeah. Yeah. And so um, because his followers, I guess are still attacking like the families, Mm. the, the, the court ruled that he has to pay more. And then his defense was that um, he was speaking a rhetorical hyperbole and he was acting as a journalist when he questioned the narrative of the mass shooting given by the authorities. And has since said that he believes the shooting actually happened, mm-hmm. which is kind of confusing. But Well, I mean, I've watched a little bit of Alex Jones, mostly on Joe Rogan, and he talks about how he got dropped on his head as a kid. Slammed. <laughs> slammed slammed on, on his head. head. He and claims that he hit his head so hard the concrete cracked. Yes. And again, and then he also claims that he stood up and knocked the guy out afterwards. And yeah. Which Eddie begged- Bravo's there, and he goes... I've been I've done a lot of fighting. That would definitely knock you unconscious. He begs Eddie Bravo to choke him out. Choke me out. Choke me out. Uh, so he I, may have. We're not. Who? No one knows what's going on in his brain. If he is a nefarious mastermind, it is the deepest. Like ever since the Prestige, there's never been a guy that was playing a part <laughs> so hard. He seems like he's uh, unstable, extreme, and that's. Consistently, how, how he views th- goes through his life. Now, the, it is an interesting. I guess I don't know the whole case about it, but on the one hand, you are allowed to say pretty much anything you want about anybody if it's co- if it's couched in the I think. I think. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're allowed to think publicly anything that you think. Now, I suppose what probably happened is he's being held accountable for the subsequent harassment that occurred when people who are adamant supporters then track these people down and bother them. I don't know exactly, but I think it's I think it's interesting and kind of funny that his defense is very similar to the it's a prank bro. Yeah, meme. yeah, yeah. Like he's like, no, no, what? I said those things, but I didn't mean them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My defense is that this was a prank. This is just kidding. <laughs> did you did you ever see when I think it was Coca-Cola got sued because vitamin water wasn't good for you? And it was called vitamin water. It's just all sugar. Yeah. It's not good for you. And they got sued. And their defense was, we didn't think anyone would believe us because we're Coca-Cola. So we just assumed that they would know it was unhealthy. Well, there's... They didn't even try to defend that it was unhealthy. They just went, we thought people would know we were kidding. Yeah. Well, that's it's called puffery. You're allowed to do that in advertising. Yeah. You're allowed to say world's greatest pizza. You know, make make outlandish claims. And then it's this weird thing. Did I tell you about this? The, the Papa John's, better ingredients, better pizza. So better ingredients, better pizza, th- then Pizza Hut sued them because they were showing images of Pizza Hut next to better ingredients, better pizza, and they could not technically prove that their tomatoes were in fact better and that their pizza was in fact better. And then what they fell back to was, oh, this is puffery. And ultimately what the court decided is 
you can keep the slogan, but you cannot reference Pizza Hut. Yeah. Like, if it's just better than the world, fine. But if it's better than Pizza Hut, now you're making a specific claim that you haven't established and backed up. Yeah. And it's it the, seems weird. Why do they allow puffery? Why not just not let people say best burger in the world? Uh, I think... What's the advantage of allowing a society to have puffery? Well, I think it's because what you're trying to limit is... And it's tough. You want businesses in some in some way to... You don't want the government fact-checking necessarily everything except things that are very easy to fact-check. Like, does this, in fact... Is this a V8 engine? Like, can we count yeah. the number of cylinders in this engine? Uh and then it gets tough when you're like, well, why, why isn't this the world's greatest pizza? <laughs> you know, like, you prove to me that it's not the world's greatest pizza. No, no. Onus of proof goes on you. You make the claim. You make the claim. Prove yeah. to me why this is the – show me the study. Oh, I haven't done a study. Well, then you can't claim it's the world's greatest pizza. Just put the onus on the person making the sure, claim. but then you do a study and you get everybody's study says that they've got the greatest cigarette, pizza, the water, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't know why it is the case. Uh, we've talked about this. Unfortunately, we lost. We lost the whole podcast. But we spoke with Coffeezilla, Stephen of Coffeezilla, about this in marketing. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of how much the government ought to, should be involved in in like regulating these sorts of speech, and it's it's unclear because one of the things that we talked about in that is like, okay, we're going to fact check the V8 engine. We're going to, we're going to fact check, you know, this says that you can, everybody makes a thousand dollars in the first 30 days. And if they don't, okay. But what do you do about the fact that it shows that this Jeep is making everyone in it really happy? (laughs) Like that running around in the mud is super cool to do. And there's a bunch of beautiful young people doing that. And if you buy this Jeep, that's heavily implied going to be part of your life. Uh, all advertisements are essentially in a weird way lies because they say that your internal state is going to be predictably changed by acquiring something in the world which yeah. you're saying that if i get a rolex i won't get a really beautiful <laughs> wife to go along with it because i've seen the ads and they pretty much say so that everyone will like me if Hold i on. have this expensive article of clothing yeah and so that's that's part of the problem is I've already made a down payment yeah. on my Rolex. This is very <laughs> uncomfortable for me. Nothing, nothing will make you happier that you can acquire. And so all ads then then become untrue in a way. Interesting. Um, the first question is from Lord Brewster. Nice. Bro- the Lord Brewster. Hi, Bruby. He says, um, in the last episode's podcast, you guys say addiction is action motivated by negative feeling. From this, it seems to me the way to counter this is to get happy with life without whatever the addiction is. However, I remember Ben saying one of his favorite quotes being something along the lines of, don't get good at suffering, work out how to not suffer. If quitting this addiction causes suffering, it seems that learning to live without it is to become good at suffering. How can you integrate these two ideas as they seem to directly conflict? Uh, Got it. I, I think I get it. I so, understand the question, but I thought that there was a... Uh, go ahead. You can, you can... Well, I think what they're saying is if you have an addiction and you're going to quit that addiction, it's going to cause pain. Mm. And I have a quote that I like which was develop the strength to do bold things and not the strength to suffer, make mistakes of ambition and not mistakes of sloth. That's the full quote. So he's saying, well, aren't those counter? But I would say pain and suffering are different. And when I think of that quote and developing the strength to do bold things instead of the strength to suffer, it's a a forever suffering. It's a Mm -hmm. doing a job I don't like every day for 40 years, ongoing suffering. Whereas drug withdrawal sucks and is pain but so to some extent a workout is pain everything the strength to do bold things is the strength to choose a suffering or a pain that is 
desirable valuable yeah, has to, good outcomes yeah, yeah to, to diabetes or whatever yeah comes talking to the, dude, the first time i approached a pretty woman sober was terrifying yeah and it had pain attached to it in my psyche but that's not the kind of suffering that i'm referring to i wouldn't even call that suffering mm -hmm. so it's a great question i think but yeah i would say i am not a, i'm not averse to doing things that cause short-term pain like lifting hard uh, or stretching. psychic pain <laughs> yeah stretching can cause pain that's definitely not my motto at all in fact i think that oftentimes the well i want to be kind of agnostic to how hard something is but sometimes the most valuable thing you can do is the hardest thing sometimes yeah. sometimes and so i would say leaving the addiction that is temporary pain but it's not suffering it's certainly not ongoing no end in sight suffering the way that i would say marrying the wrong person doing a job you hate that's the type of toiling suffering that i personally try really hard to avoid and escape sure so you're making a distinction between yeah essentially you call it both suffering long-term suffering and even short-term suffering which mm -hmm. is leaving that job panicking about your where you're going to yeah. pay for your well your you know this you mock me meals. about this i'm almost all about the short-term <laughs> yeah. suffering for the long-term gain or exactly. the short-term pain for the long-term gain so that that's what i think ben is saying he's saying choose the one that is tougher today it's a steeper slope today but you won't spend the rest of your life in the wrong relationship in the wrong job with this monkey on your back of an addiction yeah. you're gonna you're gonna conquer it over the next weeks days months whatever. exactly yep yeah the cool. things i try to do are the the negative twos forever mm -hmm. the things that just kind of suck every day forever that's what i'm trying to avoid got it cool what else next got question is from kai he says on the topic of clubs how can you be charismatic in a club when the music is so loud so loud that you can't talk literally at all. Yeah. Great question. <laughs> in a club, is it all based on aesthetics? And how can a mildly attractive guy be charismatic, especially if they're not loud? Mm. Great question. That's a great... You want me to start? Yeah, yeah, Go ahead. You're the expert. I was the expert. <laughs> I haven't been to a club. It's probably been three years. We were the experts. Yeah, since I... The been... mighty have fallen. <laughs> so let me, let me go back in my brain here. Well, the one thing is, is your nonverbals can be charismatic. Well, and that's, I think, the nice thing about a club is that there is this strange separation. Like, when you're out in public, you feel weirdly more connected. Everything that you do can be expected to have a greater effect on the people around you. But when you're in a club and you start doing this... He's fist pumping for people that's that a fist, can't see. Yeah, like, very few people will notice or even see. Yeah. Uh, if you go to the dance floor and dance crazy, it's you're, you're in this mob of people. So the, the first thing to do is to loosen up your nonverbals, become v much more comfortable being a loud nonverbal person. And so that means the first thing that we would almost always do when we were in a club is walk to the dance floor and like spin like a helicopter, yep. like do weird, no, goofy things. I, I tried to <clears throat> dance as large as possible. Mm -hmm. And I would, these are nightclubs in, in New York City at the time, so touching was totally acceptable as long as it was shoulder touch or someone you were talking to. I touched everyone. Every guy I said hi to, every person I was friends with, every person I was introduced to was getting a hug, a high five, some sort of big touching to go along with my big dancing. So I, I was uh, noticeable from a distance, yeah. which meant that when I started a conversation with you, that was not the first time you had seen me. The first time you had seen me was probably picking up a guy friend and spinning him around, dancing, mm -hmm. hugging a girl. Some you, you saw that. You know, I was I was noticeable from a distance, and that made the actual conversation a lot easier. And so, what happened then is that when Ben would speak or I would speak to someone, we weren't up against that same. I can't hear you. I'm tired of this. Like this person was now interested in putting in the effort 
even though it was loud, to hearing Ben speak or yeah. me speak. I also was having a ton of fun, and I, I think that was apparent. So they, oftentimes they would want to have, talk to me. And yes. so by the time I went up to talk to them, they were excited to engage with me because I appeared to be having more fun than everyone else there. And yes. so by interacting with me, they could get sucked into this fun vortex as well. So sure. they would be welcoming to the approach. And you said fun. This is the other big shift is that in, say, you're at a house party, conversation will very quickly go to longer. Oh, this is what I do for work. And I really enjoyed X, Y, Z. Great point. So it's going in an attempt to understand the individual and connect with them on a very you know specific and personal level. In the club, your first interactions necessarily need to be more impersonal and more fun-driven. So when somebody asks you your job in a one-on-one setting, you might joke around, but you're going to tell them very quickly. When somebody asks you, wait, what are you doing here? Recognize that you can't possibly effectively communicate your job there. So be playful, right? So we would make up all sorts of different things. It asked us where we were from. We, were, we would say that we were from different countries that we couldn't possibly have been from, mm-hmm. right? We'd put on fake accents that everybody instantly would tell weren't real, but we would play <laughs> with them, right? Yeah. Uh, and we would be so not literal, which is very different from our interactions here where I take your question, I answer it at face value literally. That's the other thing to consider is that you are not going to connect with someone in the first five minutes at a club. Not, honestly, not until you have built up enough rapport that you can go to a quieter part of the club, exactly. which is what we do. A half hour in, we go, hey, do you want to step outside, have a real conversation? Yeah, yeah. And then at that point, then it's the, so who are you? Like, what, yeah. what, like why are you here? What's going on in your life? What do you enjoy doing? Then all of the stuff that you're used to from other styles of interaction, you can do in a club. Yeah, but yeah. you need to get that person interested in spending time with you away from the i mean are you more interesting than the blazing lights that really super cool dj and the answer is only yes after 10 15 20 30 minutes of dancing band, dancing and being more silly and fun and yep. having like then you're worth stepping away from all the thing that they got dressed up and paid money to be part of uh but when you try to connect and talk to them you're instantly duller than all of the other attractions in yeah. that in that club. So that's the other thing. And what I should say is if if this isn't appealing to you, don't try to meet people in clubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to do this. You ask, can a moderately attractive person do this? Absolutely. Wear suspenders. That's another thing <laughs> that uh, I don't know. This, this was great three to five years ago. Who knows today? But uh, an article of clothing that stands out that gives someone the excuse to come speak to you. So Ben and I will be on the dance floor. We're doing our crazy thing. We're talking to our buddies. Uh, a girl will see that. She won't know how to approach me in a club. It's awkward. But she can come up and grab the spender and go, why are you wearing these? Sure. And also, well, you're a good-looking guy. But even <laughs> Thanks, like, Ben. Say, I'd say more than mildly good-looking. <laughs> above mildly good-looking. But even if you weren't, fashion will carry you a long way in a club. And that's not just suspenders. But if you walk into a club in jeans and a black V-neck and you mm. look around and everyone is in jeans and a black V-neck, what have you done to differentiate yourself in the eyes of strangers that you want to talk to? Yeah. Nothing. So if your goal when you go to the club is to talk to strangers and be attractive to them, you have to do something to stand out in a positive way. So I'm not talking about wearing a fuzzy top hat. I'm saying nice fitted suit, a vest and a tie. You know, we used to go out and invest in ties and or stuff we'd like go that. Out on a, and even in Vegas, there would be a bachelorette party and they'd have a bunch of these $1 boas. And we'd say, can I have this? And they'd say, sure. And you put on the boa. And then for the rest of the night, you got this stupid fake feather boa that, that it gives someone who doesn't know what to say to you something to grab onto, ask about to begin. Sure, a but I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend 
going out with no we never we never brought her Uh, what i would recommend what i would recommend to this person though is is find people go to the club look around and who strikes you as cool you know nothing about these people who Mm. do you look at and go oh that guy's cool you just made a thin slice malcolm gladwell term where you assumed that person was cool based on what they were wearing go buy those clothes Mm -hmm. what thin slice are you putting out and um, i mean this is going to sound obvious the majority of people there are wearing the same i would like to blend in yes the majority of people there are wearing the most average clothing they can wear. Mm-hmm. Don't do that if your goal is to be attractive. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, just a little anecdote. We went to one party in D.C. that was a paint party. And so at a paint party, everyone has neon colors. There, there's no standing out. You yeah. can't be more colorful than anyone else. Yeah, and mostly paint. everyone shows up in white. So exactly. the paint will show up. So the it's paint. like, oh, I'm in white pants and a white shirt, yeah. just like everyone else. So – this I was uh, quitting my job. I was fed up, and I had these extra suits. <laughs> so I put on a suit, and I went to this paint party and stood out like crazy. You know what I mean? Like people were like, what are you wearing? What are you doing? So the idea that, that Ben had said is uh, what stands out in a fun, interesting, positive way is different in every circumstance. Yeah. Wearing a suit to my job, I just had the lamest suit in the office. <laughs> yeah. Wearing a suit to the paint party, I was the only person that was crazy enough to destroy their cheap little suit <laughs> at, at a paint party. Uh, and then the thing that I will I, – I mentioned, I want to say again, you don't have to meet people in clubs. I think there's yeah. this weird idea that uh, the only place for young people to, to meet a, a significant other is at a bar or a club, and it's just not true. Uh, if it's not for you and you don't want to adopt any of this, you don't have to. There's other venues to to meet and connect with yeah. people. Simultaneously, I would have said clubs weren't for me, and then I started doing the stuff we described and had a ton of fun. Yeah. So you can have a lot more fun. Cool. Next question, por favor. Next question is something Ben sent. Um, oh no, this is just a, a fan emailed me, and I oh. was just like, I'm not going to read this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to send it to Justin. Okay, so you haven't seen Justin, it, Justin. It's your call. You okay, it's it. a really good question. Yeah, yeah. I just was going, Justin. <clears throat> add this to the question queue cool. if you like it. I don't want to be the filter for this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if a guy wants to be named, so I'll just say anonymous. Okay. okay. Yeah. This um, is just an email I got. Yeah. So he says, "I'm 30 years old. <clears throat> I'm 30 years old, but do not feel like a mature adult." Despite having been an infantry marine, traveling the world, earning a prestigious degree, and now working a cushy consulting job, I feel as though my mind and taste are childish, and I'm not fit for what our society demands of an adult. I do a lot of things that would be considered immature, like host Dungeons and Dragons, play video games, mosh at heavy metal concerts, and make fart jokes. This guy sounds awesome. Yeah, like, is this a humble brag? What are you saying? Awesome. I was in the infantry. I have a prestigious job. I went to a great college. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Problem. I'm really I love tall, video games. handsome, and I like fun things. If you're ever in LA, dude, let's grab a coffee or something. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I have begun to resent the adultness of people at work who are around my age or sometimes even younger. Their conversations about housing markets, 401ks, business mergers, etc. bore the living hell out of me. I'd rather talk about machine wars of the future, which superheroes would win in a brawl. I want to quit my job because I don't feel like I have the correct maturity level for it and it causes some anxiety. Do I need to suck it up and make a conscious effort to change my behavior and become more mature? If so, what does a properly matured 30-year-old man look like? Dude, there's so many questions in this question. It's crazy. I'll, almost, I'll try to, I mean, I, I, I'm going to take it at face value, but honestly, this, this is – no, of course not. It sounds like people all want to retain that childlike zest for life. But he was in the military. I think at some Maybe. point it was beaten into him sure. that you, it's important to fit in and conform. Let's mm-hmm. shave your head so you're indistinguishable. Yeah. So I don't, think it, I don't think this is a facetious question. I okay. think it's a real one. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. One, mature is often a word used to control people. I would never strive to be mature or immature. So that's my first thought on that. Um, 
the fact that you're resenting people is also interesting though because i think there should be a way for you to be immature quote unquote or for you to like dungeons and dragons without resenting people who like the housing market so something is occurring there well, i mean i think i can shed light which is uh the resent comes from i think if you were to look it's it's the part of yourself that is telling you that you ought to exactly be like that like when you are completely comfortable with having the eye color that you have and you see that everybody else has a different eye color there's probably not a part of you that resents that you just go it's different and i'm not supposed to be like that mm -hmm. resent surges when your own judgment says ah uh, this is holding a mirror up to what i ought to be yep. and therefore i resent it in them when really the person that you need to deal with it is that you think you ought to be that and you oughtn't yeah <laughs> right that's you don't you you oughtn't be like that but go ahead no, no. So I guess I'm, I, it's hard to try to answer them all at once. But one, your life is awesome. You should be very proud of it. You've done a lot of things that are great. Your interests, I don't think, make you mature or immature. Like, you support yourself financially. That's great. That's mm -hmm. mature. You know what I mean? That's, that's something I would say is good. Uh, you like board games. That's not a downside. I don't think that's a negative. It doesn't reflect poorly on your character. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that you can... The number one thing I would try to do is stop labeling yourself as immature for liking certain things. Yeah. And then the second thing I would try to do is stop labeling other people as negative for not liking those things. And then the third thing, which has nothing to do with any of that, is should you leave your job or not, which is based solely around if you enjoy what you do. But if you are a piano repairman and you love repairing pianos, but you're thinking of quitting because you're less mature than your coworkers, I would pause that. If you're an accountant, and you hate accounting because you love Dungeons and Dragons and what you really want to do is be a comic book illustrator and draw similar things, then you should quit your job because you shouldn't, you are not made to be an accountant. Is this making sense? I think so. I so mean, it's like, they're like three th questions within a question, which is, it, are your hobbies good or bad? Are these people worth, worth resenting? And then what should you do about your job? Mm -hmm. And I think they're all almost completely, well, the third one's completely unrelated from the first two. Yeah. I, I, uh... I had some similar experience to this, and I don't know if it was exactly the same, but I definitely remember going into work and despising the conversations that were happening around me, just feeling like I was in the wrong place because these people cared so much mm -hmm. about the spreadsheet that had just come in and getting ahead at work, and I didn't. So what I did was not pretend, which I actually think was important. Yeah. Uh, and it was important. I'll tell you some of the results of this. One, I became the guy in the office that was like, oh, that's Charlie. Like, walked into a meeting with a faux hawk. Like, probably shouldn't take him to any more meetings. Classic Charlie. <laughs> no, please get shoes that have soles, Charlie. Like, and it was a, uh, there were some times when I was reprimanded for it, but never terribly. Yeah. But it was just, it was like, Charlie's the, that young 23, yeah. 4-year-old guy who is, doesn't care. And in my, my performance review, they told me, you're doing very good, but we just get the sense that you don't care. Yeah. And I, was, and I just sat there. And I went, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> well, we had, a guy, we had a guy, Cyrus, who was the same way, was, was this oddball character when I was at Blackstone. And he loved Dune, which I'd say put it on par with Dungeons and Dragons for nerdiness. But he was not shy about it. He didn't golf. He didn't love sports. He mm -hmm. didn't pretend that he did, even though most of the office did. He loved Dune and would talk about it. And he found the other people in the, the office that also <laughs> yeah. liked Dune. And they connected on it. And even the people who didn't like it, like me, respected how unashamed he was mm -hmm. of liking this book. 
and he became a character as well but he was respected for how comfortable he was as himself yeah does that make sense yeah totally and so even if people weren't going to connect with him on his fantasy book there was a sense of cyrus is not here to pretend he likes basketball even though myself and ted are constantly talking about yeah. it he'll hang with us because he likes us but he's here to talk about dune he's here. and that's that's <laughs> honestly people liked him a lot more than if, if he had tried to fake something else sure you know and, what i mean and, and this isn't obviously it's not binary it's not one or the other but i i experienced a couple of things that are similar to what you described cyrus one there were people that i just really didn't have much in common with we could still be friendly polite i could talk uh small talk about their weekend etc and be kind but we didn't go deep and it was known that we just valued different things Mm -hmm. but what do you know and i never would have guessed the person that i connected with the most with my like 24 year old just wants to go and party was the president of the company Mm -hmm. and I don't know why, but I think that that was how he lived his 20s and some of his 30s. And then he had recently settled down. Oh, he also, they think you're amusing. I had this at Hellman and Friedman. I was doing cage fighting. Yeah. No one thought that was a good idea. No one else did it. So mm-hmm. I didn't connect with anyone on that level. But my boss's boss's boss thought it was hilarious yeah, yeah. that I would leave work to do it. And so he'd always ask me about it. Mm-hmm. And if I had just tried to talk about golf, which I don't play, and hidden the MMA, which some people did look down on and think was stupid then I wouldn't have been able to connect with the person who did think it was cool. Sure. And so that was it for me. It, it actually formed a relationship with the higher-ups that uh, other analysts did not have mm-hmm. at my level. Like, he would hang in the kitchen and, and be interested in my weekend and the paint party that I went to and all of that. And he would, he, would, he would, like, chuckle to himself and shake his head and laugh and, oh, man, back. And then he'd tell me about his his Virginia Tech party that he went to when he was there and what they did. you know. And it was not a conversation that he would have had with other people at the office. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean to paint this as all good because something else happened, which is made it very clear that I didn't belong there to everybody, to everybody. And it put pressure on me from them and from myself to leave uh, because I ultimately, though I did have this this particular connection on this one thing, I really didn't connect with most of the people yeah. in the office on the things that they found valuable. And it made it strikingly clear that I needed to leave to go be with other people and when i did speak to the president and it was a great conversation they wound up keeping me at, he was very very helpful he got it yes. and it didn't come as a shock and it was time for me to leave and it just felt right so all of this to say wear it on your sleeve yep doesn't mean that everybody has to like you doesn't mean that you have to uh cut them all out you can just connect with the people you actually connect with when you're being your real self. And if this makes it so that work becomes more obviously difficult for you to participate in, that's a good thing. Because you can find because a place you... with a culture where what you like is awesome. Yes, exactly. Uh, and maybe that's, you know, for instance, it's not like every corporate culture is like Google's got probably more Dungeons and Dragons masters than any company out sure. there. There's there's cool companies that have that uh, nerdy streak, if you will, but without being total dweebs. Right. I'm sure there's other army no matter infantry what, guys who do D&D. No matter what your companies. no matter what your job is, like, let's say that you're a marketer. You can also go market for something that you like, mm-hmm. like a certain video game that's an RPG game or Dungeons and Dragons itself. Yeah. You can go find an office where the core thing that holds everyone together is a love of yeah. this magic world that you also love. Mm-hmm. So hypothetically, you're the head of marketing for a car company and you don't care about cars. You can go get a job somewhere else where people will like the things you like. Larian Studios, baby. Larian Studios, yeah. They're awesome. So uh, 
let's let's try to we we've said a lot. I want to try to unpack it into just a handful of recap things. First off, you're perfectly mature, no matter what your interests. You're a okay. Second off, uh, the resentment that you feel is primarily being generated from the pressure that you put on yourself to be like those people, not because they are different than you. So allow yourself to explore that and to take some of that away. Yeah, in the same way it's cool that you like Dungeons & Dragons, it's cool that they like housing markets. The stock market, whatever they like. <laughs> it's all the same. Uh, third, wear it on your sleeve, but don't make it f- uh, cut any connections off. You know, it's not like if you don't like Dungeons & Dragons, you're done for me, but allow people to know. And maybe there's another person in the office that has the same thing. When they ask you about your weekend, tell them, Hey, this, uh, you guys probably think it's lame, but I had this Dungeons and Dragons party. And it was awesome. It was awesome. That's the thing. Your delivery, by the way, is going to carry this. If yeah. you're happy and excited, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. If you act like it's something to be ashamed of, they'll just assume it's sure. something to be ashamed of. And then lastly, uh, depending on how all of that goes and how your your environment shifts or doesn't shift, consider changing your environment to mm-hmm. surround yourself with more people that uh, bring out that that zest for life in you and not that frustration with the adult world i think that's that's a good recap great answer i loved it cool all right guys we're rounding down for today (laughs) next time we're going to be chatting with muhammad about college he thinks that college has been a great thing for him and i've previously said on the podcast that i'm I'm pretty critical of it i think it's not right for many people i don't know maybe i'll change his mind and he'll walk out of there going this is terrible but maybe he'll change your mind maybe he'll change my mind tune in next week next week if you guys do want to debate us about anything not debate discuss anything if you have a question if you if we've said something you disagree with or want to talk more about yeah then there should be a form somewhere in the description in for the you description. to submit uh, your contact information and what you want to talk about. And we'll chat. Particularly, uh, I love questions, but it's always fun when you have a different perspective than either. Yeah, I would say for questions, throw those in the comments. Mm-hmm. It's personally one of my favorite things about the podcast. I love those. So if you have a question, definitely comment. The, the call-ins are fun when it's a discussion, when it's yes. something that you disagree with or want to hash out with us. I think that's a lot of fun. Awesome. Have a wonderful three days. We'll see you in a little bit. Take care, Thanks guys. for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.